Here's another one of these things that I am thinking about adding to Hest. I haven't done this yet. Or in, actually, depending on how you look at it, this might be the only way that Hest works right now and that I haven't actually done the thing that will eventually replace it. And that is something that I'm calling accelerator functions. And this is me once again grappling with that idea that I want Hest to be efficient. I want it to run as quickly as it can. I care about battery life. I care about the performance of the end software that you build using Hest. And so I I keep finding myself thinking, what if somebody builds some kind of a system that does something conceptually simple, but computationally complex, and they need to put that inside their Hest program, and it needs to do a job very quickly and do a lot of that job. So for example, some very tight inner loop that maybe if you're you know, dynamically generating an image, it might be something that runs per pixel or something like that. What do you do about needing to do that kind of powerful, fast, computationally intensive work? Because actual HEST systems with the paths, wires, edges, uh, and points, it's not very good at that kind of stuff. And it's not really for that kind of stuff. It's, it's not intended to help you do that intended for other purposes and so one idea that i've had that to me feels kind of dumb but i'm just i keep it in mind for some reason i keep thinking about it is this idea that you well okay so there's this idea of escape hatches i talked about this on the future of coding episode with mary rose cook very common idea where if you're building some kind of a new programming environment that is maybe higher level you should also put in some kind of you know foreign function interface or some kind of way to drop down to some lower level thing that your higher level thing is implemented in terms of. Just give people a way to leverage something more powerful or more complex or closer to the metal to do certain parts of their task because some tools are really, really great for... 70% or 80% or 90% of your use case, but you'll every so often run into something where another tool is better in that one area and you'd like to use that other tool, but the downsides of that other tool preclude you from using it for the large bulk of your work. And so, you know, in Clojure, you can drop down to Java. In Java, you can drop down to JVM bytecode if you're Kyle Kingsbury. <laughs> If you're in C, you can you can drop down to assembly. If you're in C++, you can drop down to C, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if you're in Lisp, you can drop down to Lisp. You can drop down to Lisp. You can drop down to Lisp. So in Hest, I'm thinking um, that in addition to being able to drop down to JavaScript, which is something that I, uh, in a past life, I hated that idea and I would have not ever allowed for that to be something that was an intended part of the experience of using Hest, but I'm warming up to the idea a lot. Um, in addition to being able to drop down to that, it would be nice to have something as a kind of an in-between. And so something that I've thought about is it would be nice to be able to code something that is very hot, that is supposed to run very fast in Hest so that you can have the interactive programming ex experience of building up your system on the fly as it is executing and, and, play with it and run time backward and forward and kind of arrive at the the structure that you want 
and then to also have the performance that you'd get from having written the thing in the lower level language that you're going to otherwise drop down into. And so maybe there's some way when you define an abstraction in Hest, you define a new function or something like that, which is this little pocket dimension maybe that a bunch of little pieces of Hest code are inside of. And from the outside, it looks like there are some known inputs and outputs. And when you go into it, it's like actually those inputs and outputs are... You know, there's a bunch of stuff in the middle that operates on them. It's not just a simple thing like it looks like from the outside, if that's the way that I end up going for abstraction. Maybe when you define an abstraction, there's a way where you define it both in Hest and in the thing you're dropping down into. And all you have to do as a person using this feature is uh, conform to the same type signature and satisfy the type checker. And it will verify that the behavior of the Hest code and the behavior of the uh, lower level version that you've implemented is the same. Uh, <laughs> uh, got you. Absolutely not. There will be no type checker. There will be no thing automatically guaranteeing that the thing that you are dropping down into and the and the Hest version are interchangeable um, and that they produce the same output. Absolutely no way. I am not taking that on. That is so far beyond my ability and outside of my area of interest. It would very much be just a thing where you as the developer say, I am confident in my own skill and I am confident in my own understanding of this problem and of the execution semantics of both Hest and the thing that I'm dropping down into. And I assert that the behavior will be the same in both cases. And I assert that the way that data is used is the same in both sides so that it can be moved back and forth as needed. So for example, if it is executing at full speed and it is using the lower level system implementation of this abstraction and we need to switch into the debugging mode that any you know state that is present within that accelerated version can be mapped over to the hest version so that you can have your interactive debugging experience and to me this seems like the kind of thing that would be a recipe for bugs and inconsistencies and problems and all sorts of headaches but it also seems to me like the sort of thing where there are sort of ways that it would work well, maybe for 40% of cases, maybe 30% of cases, don't know. And it would be one of those, just use it for those things. Don't use it for the things that it's not good at. And it's, it's, it's the kind of thing where like, I'm really warming up to this idea of power user features that, that maybe have caution signs but that don't have like invisible walls to borrow a video game term like that don't have guardrails is a popular term but i don't like guardrails because you know nobody's going to die as a result of this it's just a little bit of confusion or time loss or something like that and so i really like the invisible walls idea from video games because what are invisible walls for they're to stop you from getting outside the bounds of the level and what happens if you get outside the bounds of the level usually nothing you just leave the sort of curated experience that the designer intended you to have and you maybe see some unpolished artwork that's like you know jagged edges of polygons sticking off in random directions because the artists didn't expect people to go over there but the way that i play video games is i always get out of bounds like if i play a video game i get out of bounds in that video game like that's that's just what i do that's one of the things i enjoy about video games is like 
getting myself way out of bounds, opening up the photo mode and saying, hey, look at this weird thing I found and, and sending that photo to my, you know, <laughs> one friend who I annoy with those kind of uh, exploits. And so I think that having features in a programming system that allow you to kind of get out of bounds, as it were, without totally breaking the experience. Like there's some games where if you get out of bounds, the game crashes. That sucks. There's some games where if you get out of bounds, you know, they'll do the thing where it's like, you have gone out of bounds. You have 10 seconds to return to the main area of the game. That's bad. No, if I get out of bounds, let me go out of bounds. Let me play around. There's going to be people. So so here's an example. I uh, I was playing with Cuddle um, by Toby Shockman and Co., uh, which is their new drawing tool for um, parametric design for making things for CNC machines and laser cutters and 3D printers. Beautiful tool derived from Toby's apparatus project and, and subject of recent Future of Coding podcast episode 51. And I was playing with Cuddle. And of course, the first thing I did is I opened up the web inspector because it's a web-based tool. And I started picking apart how their SVG system works and how they render their grid behind the drawing canvas. And when you define a shape and you move that shape, is it using CSS transforms or is it using uh, SVG attributes or is it using uh, fixed positioning, that kind of thing. And so I think if you're building a programming system and you can think of a feature like this idea of accelerator functions that would allow people to do something useful, even if that gives them enough rope to hang themselves with, I think it's worth giving them that rope because with something like this, like maybe it is always going to be inherently fraught to try and map data between some kind of, uh, you know, lower level environment and Hest's environment. But I think that's an interesting challenge for me to as I'm designing things, keep in mind that I want that to be possible and to maybe not preclude it if I can, you know, readily find ways to avoid precluding it. And I think also allowing for those kind of things to happen, especially in an environment that is something not meant for like mission critical, you know, security sensitive, high importance applications, but is instead an environment meant for playing and experimentation and, and at best building little learning simulations. I think that Allowing for that kind of, you know, circuit bending or or um, or creative misuse, I think is uh, super cool and good. And you shouldn't not do it just because you can't statically guarantee correctness. 